If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. We'll start in chapter 2 today. While you're finding that, I want to thank Pastor Dan for filling in the pulpit for me last week. Uh, he did part three of the series. He did a great job, as always. I love it when Dan covers. And so uh, many of you complimented his work last week. So again, thank you, Pastor Dan. Hopefully you grabbed a, a program on your way in. There is an outline in there for you to follow along with. And of course, you can scan the QR codes as we go today. You can follow along digitally with me as well. Worship team, good job today. And since they're all done, I've actually got a lot to say today, so we're going to be here till about 2 o'clock today. Uh, nothing, nothing for any of us to do today, right? Nothing on TV today. Uh, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be here till 2 o'clock. We're going to be here till 3. I'm just kidding. Don't worry, everybody. We're going to be out on time today. I promise you will not miss the 49er, I mean the Lions game today, all right? All right, my lions have finally made it. Hey, I was a fan in 2008 when they didn't win a single game, Jerry. I was there, all right. I fully expect you 49ers to win today, so all right. All right, so here we go, let's get to it. All right, so as you saw from the video, we are in a series called Living for God in Our World. And I've noticed over the last couple of years, maybe you have too, with everything that's taken place in our shifting culture, things have gotten a little weird. And, and, and it just seems like for so many believers that we're just living with some tension about what's gone on, what's going on, and what probably is going to go on in the future. And so the question becomes, how do we as Christians, how do we live in this place? How do we navigate the tension and the turbulence? And so last year as I was planning this year's sermon calendar, I thought that, that we would look at what God's word had to say about how we as believers could navigate through difficult times. And so 1 Peter is a great book in the New Testament for us to look at that purpose. And so Peter says, and we talked about this in week one and two, Peter says that we are strangers in this world. In other words, for us as believers in Christ, this world is not our home. And because of that fact alone, the things of this world are not going to make sense to us. They're going to be odd. And Peter lays out for us two different economies in the text. Now, not two worlds, but two economies. The first is the economy of God. We talked about this in week one and two, where the economy of God is God's love, his holiness, his righteousness, all the teachings that we see of God found in scripture. And then there's the economy of the world. Maybe you've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. This includes all the ideas and the values, the processes, the systems that we see with our own two eyes day in and day out in this world. And scripture teaches us that all of them are influenced by Satan. And so Satan uses these tactics to entice people to give into their fleshly desires to cause them to sin. And this is true for both believers and unbelievers. Because Satan's going to basically say to us, man, if you do this thing, whatever it is, life is going to be wonderful. Does that sound familiar? Okay. If you just give in even a little bit, yeah, sure, you'll compromise your integrity a little bit, but 
if you do this, oh, brother, I'm telling you, you're gonna feel so satisfied and fulfilled. And so one of the goals of Peter in our text today is to help us recognize that that it's through living a life of integrity that this is a necessary ingredient for effective influence for the sake of the gospel. And see, friends, Satan understands this. He knows all of this, and that is why he's looking for every possible opportunity he can find in our life to tempt us to give in to our fleshly desires. In fact, as we're gonna see in a minute, our sinful desires are actually waging war on our soul. And so the first part of chapter two sets the stage, and Peter's calling believers to live a life of integrity. And this is, everybody, in my humble opinion, so, so, so important. Because if we're gonna make a difference out there in the world, It starts right here. It starts with you and with me making the decision in our lives to live a life of integrity. And so a simple definition of integrity, now it's not your notes, but it's this, it's just to be honest and have strong moral principles. For all believers, not just church staff members, not just church lay leaders, all believers. And so in your outline, let's look at how to live with integrity. This is going to be a two-part message, right? Today's part one. Next week will be part two. We're going to look at one principle today. Next week, we'll look at two. So in your Bible or in your outlines, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Here we go. It says, Dear friends, as alien, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires, and here it is right here, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Now let's just pause for a moment. Remember, Peter is writing to believers who are experiencing tremendous persecution. Many of them are dying at the hand of Rome for their faith, And everything inside of those who are still living is saying, hey, I want to get out of California. I mean, I mean, wherever they're at. And I want to move to Idaho. I mean, Texas. I mean, wherever that is they want to move to. They don't want to be where they're at. Their friends, their family are dying. In other words, you're going to live alongside of these people. You're gonna live alongside these people. Peter's writing to them to say, hey, you're gonna live with them, the pagans. The pagans, Peter says. For us, it's the unbelievers. We're gonna live alongside of them. In other words, church, you're gonna be salt, you're to be light in a dark place. You're to be a change maker for Jesus in the location that God has sovereignly placed you. We talked about that in part one and two. Verse 12 says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, now let's just pause, that means 
Don't get your feelings hurt when they accuse you. People are going to say what they're going to say, aren't they? Liars are going to lie. Cheaters are going to cheat. They're going to say what they're going to say. Just continue to be about the Father's business. Because our job, everybody, is not to appease unbelievers in the world. Remember, they rejected Jesus. Who else are they going to reject? So we got to expect it. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see, now I want you to take your pencil and circle that word see, please, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now that last part there of this verse does not mean the second coming of Jesus. It's referring to uh, when there is a visitation from God, we see it in the Old Testament, and then a demonstration of God's power for either uh, benefiting or, or times of judgment for Israel. And then also, we see it in the New Testament. It's the day of visitation of God for non-Christians. This is where God visits them to bring people to Christ. Everything that you've experienced as a believer, if you remember back to the day you gave your heart to Christ, that was God's visit to you, right? So God uses people and experiences to bring other people to Jesus. And so the integrity and the testimony of the believer is often part of that process. And so it's referring to God's visitation, not the second coming of Christ later that we read about in Revelation. So I had you circle the word see for a reason here. And that word in the Greek is, is optuo, and it means to look upon and to view attentively, or maybe to stare down. So it's not a glance, right? It's not like you saw something and kept on moving. It's not like when you're driving down the highway and someone says, hey, did you see the Walmart over there? And you're like, yeah, I saw it, and you just kept on going. That's not what we're talking about. It's a stare down. Now, the principle here is, everybody, the world is watching you attentively. Now, you may ask, why are they doing that, Pastor Wayne? The reason is they want to see that what you say amen to in here on Sunday, they're watching to see if you're living it out there in the world on Tuesday. In other words, are you consistent? Do you have integrity? And if we want to impact and influence that culture out there, it isn't about people like me standing up on stages like this preaching sermons. It's about all of us walking our faith and living our faith out during the week. Are you with me, church? Okay, we gotta put into practice what we say we believe. Where the unbelieving world out there is going, yeah, totally, she is the real deal. And so I put in your outline that Peter says that the mark of a Christ follower's life is Integrity. We just have to have integrity. It's the only way that we're going to make positive change in the culture. And so, so the very first area that Peter calls uh, us to give our attention to, and again, we'll look at one today and two more next week, is our thought life, everybody. And so number one in your outline is that we need to stay away from temptation. What a great idea. Simple, Right? Simple to understand, difficult to do. Peter says we need to stay away 
from temptation. Where does he say that? We'll look back in verse 11, but this time I'm gonna read from the Living Bible Version, and I put it uh, in your outline if you have something different so you can follow along with me there. In the Living Bible, Peter says it like this. Dear brothers, you are only visitors here. Since your real home is in heaven, I beg you to keep away from the evil pleasures of this world. They are not for you, for they fight against your very souls. So we see here that Peter is pleading with us. He's, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord to abstain from evil pleasures, to keep away from the things of this world that tempt us. And can we just all get on the same playing field here? That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? But the very first word that Peter says here is the word dear, dear brothers. In other words, he, uh, this could also be said, beloved, beloved brothers. And remember what Pastor Dan said last week in, in part three is, is that the person that you have at the highest esteem in your life, whatever it is they say about you, that sets your attitude and your actions in the world. And so when, when Peter says, beloved friends, or beloved brothers or sisters, however you want to interpret that, he's saying that, hey, you are God's instrument of love. Not only is God focusing all of his love onto you, the follower of Christ, but you are God's instrument of love towards the unbelieving world. Friends, this is a big deal. We're to stay away from temptation. It's not how close can I get to the edge of sinning without actually sinning. And so many people live right here that they're about ready to fall off. God doesn't want us there because of a, a person of integrity just understands, hey, they're God's instrument to the unbelieving world. The world is watching them and they don't want to mar the name of Jesus by their behavior. So my friends, we're not gonna snuggle up to sin anymore, are we? Starting today, we're gonna make adjustments, aren't we? We are, Pastor Wayne, yes. We're gonna run in the opposite direction from temptation, aren't we? We are, Pastor Wayne. Now, why are we gonna do that? Because it's the right thing to do and because the world is watching us. Now, confession time for me. Last night, I'm at Texas Roadhouse celebrating my daughter's 18th birthday. You're not allowed to get any more older. And sure enough, Pastor Wayne backing up his car. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And what did Pastor Wayne do? Pastor Wayne wanted to drive off. Did Pastor Wayne drive off? No. Pastor Wayne made the note, put it on the windshield, did all the stuff, and now Pastor Wayne has to go through all the insurance stuff that's yucky. But it's the right thing to do. And by the way, the world's watching. There was this little, like, mom and pop operation there. If you've been to Texas Roadhouse, they're selling all the flashy lights. She was sitting right there in her in her little chair watching everything I did. She's the one who gave me the piece of paper. <laughs> but the world's watching you, church. The world's watching you. First Peter 
chapter 2 and verse 12, it says that we're visitors here on earth. We're just passing through. We're not citizens here. Meaning we are citizens of God's economy where Jesus is king and Peter is challenging believers to make the right choice. To choose God's economy and to live by God's ways. Not the world's ways. Which way are you going to live? Are you going to live by God's economy or the world's economy? Because if you're going to live by God's economy, that means that you will recognize you're just passing through. You're not living here. You're living alongside of the pagans who function over here in the world's economy. They're the people who give in to temptation. They're the people who snuggle up to sin. They're the people, as I talked to one of our church members today, they're the people who hit a car and drive off. But not you. Not me. Because if unbelievers are going to have any kind of change in this world, it's because of the light of Christ being seen in you and through your life, through your integrity, and God will use that for his purposes. You can clap about that stuff, absolutely. All right, so let's pause for a moment here. We're all going to be real honest with our lives today. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh has instincts we have desires that are valued in this world, right? Yes. And the world and the culture are constantly pulling on you. They're pulling on you to join in and to participate. Whether it's the internet, whether it's TV, social media, or whatever it is, we cannot hide from it. 24-7, 365 this stuff is in our face. And so the question becomes, have you chosen, as you look at your life, have you chosen to allow the world's economy to sweep you away? Or are you just living amongst the pagans? And I know it's tough, folks, because we're human. And following Jesus and living in God's economy on this side, this is all the time pushing the ball uphill. It's never easy. It's never pushing the ball downhill, right? Are you being a person of integrity? Are you living in God's economy? Because Satan is fantastic at trying to convince you that you need what he's offering you. He's trying to convince you that the temptation that is right in front of you is the best idea that you have ever had. And Peter comes along and says, hey friend, hold on. No, live with integrity. Live alongside the pagans, but don't join in with them. Let them see Jesus working in your, in your life. We're called to be amongst them not join them. You might have heard it said, be in the world, not of the world. First Peter, chapter two and verse 15, he goes on to say, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. In other words, church, our salvation is secure in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We looked at that in week one. And so we have 
freedom in him. But then he goes on and says, hey, don't use your salvation as a license to freely go on sinning. That's worldly thinking. Instead, live with integrity. Live as a servant of God, and it's different than the unbelieving world. Verse 15 says that it's God's will that we silence the ignorant talk of a foolish man. And so the Greek word there for silence, it means to muzzle. Wouldn't it be nice to muzzle some people? Right, I'm sure you can think of somebody you like to muzzle. And the ignorant talk that Peter's referring to here is the speech of people who actually are hostile to the truth of Jesus. They're in the world. That's where they're living. And these folks, they don't like Jesus. They don't like his word. They don't, they, they don't like it because what he has to say oftentimes doesn't line up with their lifestyle. They don't like what it says. In fact, they call often the Bible oppressive. How about that? So how are we going to influence the culture? Only by us living out loud with the integrity that Jesus wants us to live. And it starts, family, it starts by staying away from temptation. Folks, you need to know I could do a whole sermon series on temptation. But there's a few quick points I want us to get today that are really gonna, I believe are gonna help you think because this point of staying away from temptation is so important for us as believers because we're all tempted to sin we all struggle with temptation at some level. And I know that if you could just experience even a series of small victories in your life when it comes to temptation, even this very week, for many of you, it will be a monumental help and success for you. And so friends, one of the things I've learned over the years, and I would dare say that the secret sauce to having victory over temptation is first recognizing it on the onset. Call it what it is. I'm being tempted right now. Whoa. And then the second thing is to allow God to be our master. Instead of letting our evil desires be our master, which is what we do every time that we give into temptation. Yes, we're free in Christ, but things in our life are not gonna change in us and we'll just keep on giving into temptation and giving into temptation and doing it again and doing it again over and over and over until we have that aha moment when the light bulb finally comes on and we realize, oh, whoa, whoa, there is more at stake when I give into temptation than just committing this act. So hopefully today's that aha moment for you. What I want you to see is this. Look in Romans chapter six. It's in your outline on the screen. It says, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Everybody check this out. Running in the background of your life behind every temptation that you experience is a desire that God wants to meet in your life. And God will meet that desire if we are willing to just hold our horses, if we're willing to wait on his plan. But see, over here in the world's economy, wait 
is not valued. And so Satan wants to bait you and he wants you to give in to it when? Now. So that you meet that need in a sinful way. And the reason why that we continually give in to temptation over and over and over again is because oftentimes, candidly, there's no immediate or direct consequence for our sin. Now think about it. Happens all the time. We tell ourselves, yep, I got away with it. Oh, sweet. I'm going to do it again. And then we do it again. We get away with it again. And we get away with it. And at least we think we do. And because of that, our human inclination is just to do it over and over and over. And we don't recognize that there actually is consequences going on. Unfortunately, in many cases, we just don't see it today or the next day. Many times, it's down the road. And here's the facts, everybody. The enemy does not want you to know that reality. He doesn't want you to know that because it exposes his strategy against you. And Jesus tells us exactly what his strategy is against you. You see it in your outline, John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief, this is referring to Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. So let's just take it from the lips of our wonderful Savior, Jesus. He knows what he's talking about. Satan's mission and strategy is not to make your life better. He's going to tell you that. It's not his strategy. His mission and his strategy is to steal, kill, and destroy. Over and over and over again, that's his strategy. For your whole entire life here on earth, that's it. Nothing else. And the way that he's going to do this is he's going to put you in a place where you are in bondage to this specific desire that you have, this temptation, where it just constantly dominates your mind several hours a day and you just feel stuck. You know what I'm talking about? Folks, I'm talking about that sin, that desire. Yes, that one in your life. That's the one I'm talking about. And he's going to keep that in your face. Now think about this. That's an interesting commercial break. Back in. Okay. Think about this, everybody. I've been blessed by God to serve many years in student ministries and last several years here at our church working with all of y'all. And let me tell you something that I've never heard over the years. Working in church life, I've never heard this. I've never heard Pastor Wayne. Man, this is gonna be so good. I've got an awesome plan. I've got a good marriage right now, but over the course of the next 10 years, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start looking at pornography. 
And then over the course of five to seven of those years, man, I'm gonna jack up my marriage so bad that it completely devastates my family. And then get this, Pastor Wayne, you're gonna like this. And then my wife and I, were gonna get a divorce. And then I'm gonna pay alimony and child support. Man, and I'm gonna be under the thumb of that for years. And then, Pastor Wayne, my long-term goal is, is that I'm gonna, I'm gonna sleep at a buddy's house in his garage on a couch. What do you think, Pastor Wayne? Now, folks, nobody has ever come to me saying that. But I would suggest that there is someone here today or watching us online where that may actually be true. And if not you, you know somebody whose life it is true. I've never had anybody come to our church office and, and tell me that, they, that their strategic plan is to mess up their life and blow things up, but it happens all the time. And so the question is, is well, how does that happen? And the answer is this, is we don't take into consideration what's at stake before we give in to sin. We just give into it. We get duped by the enemy. And then we try to excuse it. We say, but Pastor Wayne, it was just one time. Relax, bro. I got that a lot over the years. It was just one time. Yeah, but one time leads to two. Two leads to three. Three leads to four, on and so on and so on and so on. We don't think things through all the way. And so in your outline, every time that you're tempted, there are three areas in life that are at stake, and we're gonna go over all three of them. The first one is this, letter A in your outline, is your future. Teenagers, young people that can hear me, for those of you who still think you're young, Pay very close attention to what I'm saying here. Your future is at stake. And this is why your parents and your grandparents will often overreact in your eyes, right? They will say things like, hey, don't do that. And you're like, relax, I have a designated driver. And they'll say, what are you talking about? You're 14. Parents react, right? And kids just think, What's the big deal, mom? It's just one date. How about this one? It's just one hit. It's just one joint. It's just one drink, mom. The point is simple, my friends. Here it is. Your future is at stake when you give into temptation. Y'all with me on that? Letter B. Your family and friends. Is this true? Mm-hmm. One of the things that disturbs me more than a lot of things is when I hear people say, and especially those who have addiction issues, is it's my life and I'll do what I want. You ever heard that one? It's kind of like, oh, really? Really? Then why don't you go sit in our senior adult classroom one of these times where here you have parents who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they're crying their eyes out because their adult kids who are in their 40s and 50s can't get their life together. So let's be honest, your life isn't just about you, right? Your life is about everyone who cares about you, your family and your friends. And what's unfortunate is this, and, and some of you are sitting right here today and maybe your parents passed away into eternity long ago, back when Methuselah was here, okay? 
And your life to this day here in 2024 is still affected by the things that they did. You still have issues in your life because of something your parents either said or did years ago. But somehow we just say, it's my life and I'll do what I want. I'll do it. All right, come on, Mick Jagger. Right? It's not going to affect anyone else. Balderdash. It will affect somebody else. And we're all, a lot of us are walking proof of that. If you think that it's only going to affect you, friends and family, hear it from, from me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's the truth. Letter C. Your faith is at stake. And this is a big one. Huge. Paul tells us, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, he says this. Holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. In other words, there are some folks out there who have violated their conscience. And as a result, they have shipwrecked their faith. Now, we believe as Baptists that this doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation. It just means that they have violated what the Scripture says about who God is. They give into temptation, they sin, and they do it over and over and over and over until they just get to a point where it's like, man, no, I'm not even sure God even exists anymore. And Paul calls this shipwrecking your faith, behaving your way from the Spirit of God. See, most people don't walk away from God because of some sort of disagreement on a theological concept. Does it happen? Yeah, every once in a while, but not very often, to be honest with you. Most people turn their back on God because of their poor choices. They gave into temptation over and over and over, and they sinned. Translation, they didn't think about their faith. You see, if you're a believer, when you sin, you will be, hear me, you will be convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen. Count on it. And so what's going to happen then is you're going to experience some guilt over what you've done. And as a result, you have two choices. Number one is you can own it and confess it to God and repent of your sin, which is what you're supposed to do. Or... Two, you can disregard that conviction and just continue on in sin and temptation and sin and temptation. In effect, when you do that, you'll be embracing all of your sinful desires and consequently, you will feel and more and more guilt in the future because the Holy Spirit is gonna continue to do his job. It's at this point you're gonna have a decision to make. You can now turn your back on the sinful pleasures and return to God, or you can change your belief system. And studies have shown that most people who leave God, who leave church, they choose the latter. They become a, a used-to-believe-in-God person. Do you know anybody like that? What happened? They sinned. That's what happened. And they have chosen that road because of the desire to give in to the lust of the flesh, the evil pleasures that Peter tells us about. They didn't want to give it up. 
Folks, it's usually not because of a theological position or a doctrinal issue or a church ministry idea. I'm going to stop going to church because they took down the volleyball net. Right? And the truth is, is this is a tragic reality. Some of us are watching our own loved ones go through this. We raise them in church. We raise them in, 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 in God's word. We, we do family devotions. They know Jesus, and then they still go down this path. They're not thinking about what's going on. See, we often don't think about our future. We don't think about our family and friends, and we certainly don't think about our faith. We just think about the here and now, the temptation at hand, the drink, the internet site, the business transaction, that man or woman. We don't tend to think long-term and about the consequences. So in your outline, the question at the heart of every temptation is this. Can God really be trusted? That in the midst of whatever it is that tempts you, can God and what he says in his word really be trusted? We all have to make that decision. Because behind every temptation is a need that you have. And God wants to meet it. Honestly, he wants to meet it in a healthy way. But the question is, is do you believe that God can be trusted? Do you think he's going to meet it? And do you think that you believe he will? Or do you think, no, God can't be trusted. He's not going to meet my need. He's going to leave me hanging. And I'll conclude with this. Every time you're tempted, friends, every single time, you've got two choices in front of you. You can say, God, I will trust you in this difficult moment. This is the hard part. God, I will trust you what you say in your word. It's not connecting what I feel inside because I want to do this, but I will trust you what you say in your word in this difficult moment. I will obey you and I will flee this temptation. And I'll think about something else, whatever it takes. Or I will give in to this temptation. And I will please my flesh. And in effect, when you do that, hear me, church. What you're saying is, God, mm -mm, I do not trust you. I do not trust you to meet my needs. I do not believe you have my best interest in mind. I do not think you will meet my needs in a healthy way. I need to take over. In fact, I'll just take matters into my own hand. God, thank you very much. Goodbye. Now, folks, that may seem pretty radical, but that is exactly what we're saying. And so I want to encourage you this morning to give that some thought. Here's my prayer for you today. That you would begin to recognize that your integrity is super important. Your integrity is going to influence others to follow Jesus. And I'm praying that you wouldn't aimlessly just wander off a cliff into temptation, but that you would recognize temptation for what it is right at the onset. Satan is wanting to bait you so he can destroy you. It's what it is. Believers, you're not of this world. You're just passing through. Don't allow the world's economy over here and all of its methods and its values and its ideas to sweep you away. Because when you do, you'll compromise your integrity. Recognize the schemes of the enemy. 
He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. You are not his buddy. You're not his friend. You're over here in God's economy, friends. Focus on the good things of Christ Jesus. Focus on his, God's love, his goodness, his faithfulness, his holiness, his righteousness, and how he wants you to live with integrity because this is what will influence the world around you and the world that you live in your network of relationships. And yes, my friend, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that spirit will work in your life and you will have victory over temptation. Is it possible to stay away from temptation? It absolutely is, and you can do it. You can press forward with integrity. And if you've blown it, because we all have, but if you've blown it, today is your day to start fresh. Confess your sin. Let's get right with God today. Turn your ear to heaven. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at his wonderful face. And when you do, the things of this world and its economy over here, it will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Congregation, I'm going to ask if you'll stand and pray with me this morning. Father, we come before you to say, God, thank you so much for who you are. God, we say thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the mercy, God, that gives us another chance to get it right. Father, we have all fallen on our face. We've all given into temptation. We've all become victim of the schemes and traps of the enemy. And so, God, I stand before this congregation today asking you to just put your healing hand on our lives. Draw us to your spirit. God, help us to have victory from this day forward. God, we pray that the, the teaching of Peter here today will, will, will stir in our hearts the desire to follow you, to recognize temptation when it hits us, and God, we ask that you give us the strength to say no. That's our prayer today, Lord. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters who are struggling. Lord, I lift them up to you today. And congregation, as you're here today, you're hearing me talk about this wonderful Savior, Jesus, and maybe you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You just keep giving in to the world because there's no Holy Spirit living in your life. But let me just tell you, today is the day where you can make a change. Maybe you sense God speaking to your heart today that he's pounding on your, your life. He's trying to tell you, I'm here. This is your day of visitation. I want to encourage you to, to repent of your sin and to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And you can do that very simply. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I just want to encourage you to do that today. In the stillness of your heart, just repeat this after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. Come into my life. Help me to live for you from this day forward. I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. God, today is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God, help us to turn our eyes to you this week as we go into the world. God, give us a strength to live with integrity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.